Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show. It's our Week Eight recap. I am joined off the top by Denny Carter. He and/or we and/or me are going to break down the entire Sunday slate. That includes the Saints outlasting the Colts thirty-eight to twenty-seven, the Jaguars beating the Steelers twenty to ten. War of words after that game, a quarterback injury, and the Titans looking reborn under Will Levis, who got the start once and uh, doubled. Ryan Tannehill's yeah. season touchdown total, Denny Carter. That's for the end of the segment. We will begin with the Saints. You insisted on going first. Your Saints. My your Saints. Taysom Hill. Your beautiful, beautiful Taysom. You've got a lot of thoughts on the Saints, but I, I'm just going to put you on the spot real quick and ask you about Jonathan Taylor on the Colts because yeah. uh was down absolutely tremendous. I believe he had 66 yards on yeah. the first series, and then he had yep. like 82 in the first quarter, and then those of us in 100-yard bonus leagues are like, surely he's easily getting to 100. <laughs> and he finished the day with 97. Zach Moss, who was on the injury report with two injuries, played him to a touches standstill. You might not have a good answer for why this happened, but why did it happen? What happened? Were they like rotating series? Was it game flow? Like What was even going on? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, there is no real reason that I could point to as to why Taylor wasn't fed into the second quarter and the third and the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, he, he largely split pass routes with Zach Moss. Importantly, he he's not the goal line back. Uh, so I'm sorry to report Just that. seems pretty, um, pretty interesting seeing as he is a, an elite goal line back. And, and Pat, he, but here's, here's the worst, the worst thing is that usually in a situation like this with a really talented back, we could say, well, what is this team thinking? You know, like they just, they just need to give him the ball. The other guy stinks. Well, in this case, Pat, the other guy doesn't stink. Zach Moss is really good. <laughs> About that. Are you sure about that? I'm sure about that. Are you sure about that? I'm I'm 100%. Listen, the the peripherals, the the film, everything says Zach Moss is actually really good. I promise you that they're they're you they're not using him to make a point to Taylor or anything. They're using oh. him because because I think Zach Moss has has been good and and will continue to be good. Yeah, I, look, Zach Moss had a foot injury, elbow injury, five other injuries. Game time decision. They had to wait to see him before the game to even call, make make a call. So I I get that. Like today, I thought, okay, well, this is a Taylor game, and it really looked like a Taylor game. Okay, against a run funnel Saints defense, 
Uh, but they they just completely pulled back on that. I don't know why. Just absolutely unbelievable. And so there's no point left to prove. They already paid him the $42 million. So they must just think that Zach Moss is really good. Like you said, he's final year of his contract. We got to get everything we can out of Zach Moss. Uh, If there's any good news whatsoever, it's that they're playing the Colts are playing the Panthers in week nine. I believe the Panthers have one of the worst run defenses in the entire NFL. They're real bad. Yeah. So you can keep four teams on by. You can keep Jonathan Taylor. Fired up in the top 20. We'll circle back, maybe see if there's anything more to touch on with the Colts. But yeah, you were all fired up to talk about the Saints. You yeah. gave me some bullet points that huge air yards day for Chris Olave, who once again got hit in the face mask with a ball when he was wide open. And if I didn't know better, I would really honestly think it was like joining the mafia with some of the plays <laughs> he's been making in the past month. And it seems like he is shaving points. That happened. Rashid Shahid, big plays. Yeah. Some Hill, who was pl- like Zach Moss playing through like five injuries, had two touchdowns. Where to begin with the New Orleans Saints, Denny? Yeah, so I, I guess we'll we'll start with the receivers. Yeah, Chris Olave uh, on a on what would have been a thirty-five yard touchdown uh, simply didn't put his hands up. Uh, and, he, uh, what, he does it every week now. Like, yeah, seriously, and, every week. And he he tried to catch the ball with his face mask, which you know to the degree of difficulty that it, that is impressive. I would just, I would love one time if Chris Olave were to try to catch it with his hands, um, because that, that that was free points. There was not, there was not an Indianapolis defender within ten yards of him. Really heartbreaking for those of us who went, who went all in on Olave in DFS today. Really tough, tough stuff. Uh, he and again, tons of air yards, forty-six real yards. I know, I know, I know. You can't feed your family, but you got to keep playing them. It's going to happen. You know who it happened for, Pat. It happened for your guy, Rashid Shahid. Uh, classic, you know, Deshaun Jackson type performance here. Three targets, three catches, 153 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he caught one of the, the the deep balls, a 44-yarder from Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill drops back and just bombs it. It actually was called an interception on the field, and then it was reversed to a reception. Really weird thing there, but we'll take it. We will take it. Uh, Rashid Shahid is still only running about half the routes in the offense, so he's definitely not reliable by any standard. All three of his catches over 40 yards to hit on the Deshaun Jackson theme there. So he has the role. It's the absolutely classic role where it's a zero-point floor, but if you're really, really scrounging for options any given week, you tie break in favor of a guy who, even if he has only three targets, that's enough to flip a matchup with someone like Rashid Shahid. So that's why despite him being so frustrating, you keep him around in fantasy leagues. Yeah, Taysom Hill, nine carries, 63 yards, two touchdowns. Did they keep up the farce that he played tight end at all? So he only had one catch. Was this like running back Taysom Hill? What, what kind of Taysom Hill was this? I know. You're, you're so mad. You're so mad I'm about not, it. Man, I'm not mad about it. You're so, I've told the paper. <laughs> are, uh, Taysom they, Hill they, have, they have called to fact check twice and I haven't answered the phone. <laughs> they want to talk to your wife. I don't answer on unknown numbers. So, uh, yeah, no, only 12 routes for Taysom Hill on 31 dropbacks for the saints. Only one target. He, he did catch that of course, for a critical third down conversion because he's their best player. <laughs> he's um, their best player, isn't he, man? It's quite something. I, he's a really good player. I know he is. I know. Uh, Juwan Johnson was back from a calf injury. He ran 18 routes, only saw two targets, including an end zone target that clanked off his face mask. It would be awesome if these Saints receivers. Does Derek Carr like magnetize the ball or something? What is this? Every time I watch a Saints game, I see three face face mask clanks. It's amazing. 
so he's not a fantasy option. But here's the thing. I mean, when they got inside the 20, really, and definitely inside the 10, Carr just came off the field. Like it was Jover for, for Carr. And <laughs> and and Taysom came in and they ran that super jumbo package where they have they have a a 340-pound lineman next to Taysom Hill. Um, and and nine guys on the line of scrimmage, okay. And they just try to go on the left side, I guess, behind their best blockers. And it, anyway, it works. It works. It works. So I guess I guess Taysom Hill's going to continue to get those opportunities, even though Jawan Johnson kind of wrecks that traditional tight end thing we had going. The Taysom package only ever gets bigger. It, so. it, it is expanding. Ever expanding. Uh, only 21 touches, quote unquote, for Alvin Kamara. Only six carries for Jamal Williams. They put on a brave face. They were going to get him more involved. Not really. Nothing really changing for Alvin Kamara there. Status quo for Michael Thomas, who it seems like I think we've passed a new amendment to the United States Constitution that he can only post between 58 and 70 yards receiving. Absolutely zero upside whatsoever for Michael Thomas. Anything with the Colts pass catchers, seven for 72 for Josh Downs, eight for 40, and a touchdown with Michael Pittman. Kind of looks like status quo there to me with Gardner Minshew, turnover machine, Gardner Minshew. Yeah. But any quick notes on the the Colts pass catchers? In that particular, I mean, I mean, Pittman ran cold today, 13 targets, he had a 37% target share. So you, you would expect something more than 40 yards and a touchdown out of that sort of opportunity. I think that'll come. But, you know, Downs, it's a, it's a pretty concentrated target tree here. You, you have Pittman, you have Downs, you have the running backs a little bit, and that's about it. Uh, I know Ogletree caught a touchdown. He only saw two targets on the day, the tight end. So, uh, so you know, you know what you're getting here. You do know what you're getting here. We knew what we were getting in Jaguar Steelers. That was probably gonna be a boring game. That was indeed the case. Twenty to ten, the Jags, who are on a real big winning streak, uh, they're five, six and two. Steelers four and three. Big storyline here: Kenny Pickett injured with, I believe you said a rib issue. Mitch Trubisky comes in, tosses yeah. two picks. Uh, I don't know, 138 yards. The same deal like Deontay Johnson, speaking of magnetized, like mm-hmm. every target must go to Deontay Johnson. Yeah. The Steelers look better, worse, the same without Kenny Pickett. What say you, Danny Carter? Um, they, let's see, they look worse for sure. Uh, but I will say that this could be amazing for Deontay Johnson because Mitch Trubisky has zero interest in throwing deep. Okay, even throwing to the sticks. Forget about it. You know, he's just he's just trying to get it. He's 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 doing the one read thing, and his one read is to Deontay Johnson, and he's just going to throw it. Okay, now Deontay Johnson should have had a much bigger game here because uh, um, he was very frustrated, and rightfully so. I was very frustrated as someone who drafted him in a lot of leagues. Kenny Pickett missed him twice in the end zone. Once was egregious. He was standing. He was st- standing by himself in the middle of the end zone for three seconds. Do you know how long that is? It's an eternity. And and Pickett Pickett's scrambling, looking for anybody else. And Deontay's like, "I'm I'm here, man. I'm right here." <laughs> and then of course he throws it late. Deontay slips on the wet turf and it goes incomplete. So uh, it, I think that was fourth down too. Anyway, very frustrating day for Deontay Johnson. Uh, George Pickens is basically like a fringe option, I think, from here for or for now with Trubisky under center. Um, Pickett, really like- he, Pickett could probably get flak jacketed up. It is a short week, though, for the Steelers. That looms really large for Kenny Pickett and the Steelers offense. They're playing on Thursday night football against the Titans. So uh, yeah. a- actually, you're, the way you're speaking probably is correct. We'll probably get at least one Mitch Trubisky start. But yeah, keep it locked to rotorworld.com for updates there. That's right. And it's not it's not good. Not good news for Pickens. Great news for Johnson. The Jaguars, 
Uh, Calvin Ridley back from the dead. Six for 83, 10 targets. I made the ranking switch with Christian Kirk this week. We talked about how that wasn't really based on sound science. That was just more like, well, he's not producing. Calvin Ridley got to do something. He out-targeted Christian Kirk 10 to 5. Yeah. You mentioned it kind of finally, not a, it's hard to call it a ceiling game and you don't score a touchdown, but Evan Ingram's had a very high floor all year. Finally got something resembling ceiling with 10 catches for 88 yards. Well, did I just lay out the story of the Jaguars pass catchers? Is there more to add? Any nuance there? What was the story? Uh, yeah, I mean, I told you on Thursday's show, I, you said, is Calvin really going to make me look foolish? And I said, yes. Yes, so, you did. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, he will sometimes, he will do it because those targets that he's getting, they have value. Uh, is, is it bankable value? No, because they're low percentage shots on the boundary, you know, and, and we don't really love that for fantasy, especially if you're not seeing, you know, the intermediate stuff like Ridley's not seeing, but 10 targets tied with Evan Ingram for the team lead. Ingram, by the way, just, just found massive, massive holes in the middle of the field, uh, caught, you know, caught it, turned around, looked around, nobody's there. He runs every, you know, three, four times in the game. He did that. Pretty unbelievably bad coverage for the Steelers, who lost Minka Fitzpatrick, I should mention, to a hamstring. Non-contact hamstring looked real bad. I, th- I think that yeah, just uh, to, to, to file away for fantasy folks, uh, the Steelers' secondary could be very vulnerable going forward. Um, so just remember that. But, yeah, I, I think Kirk will be better most weeks. Um, but Ridley certainly has more of a ceiling, I think, in, in, uh, in his role. And no, status quo in the Steelers' backfield, a.k.a. everyone's bad. Yes. Uh, really no reason left to start Najee Harris. Uh, no. no kind of no, like, no, ha- no. you quote, have to, because like the touch floor is still kind of high. But it, it, it stinks uh, for everybody involved because, yeah, because uh, Najee is still the goal line back primarily, so that's good. Um, he's a touchdown dependent option at this point. And, and as far as the passing game goes, in this game, Najee Harris ran 18 routes to Jalen Warren's 24. They both saw five targets. So it's it's not like we can say, okay, like in a game script where they have to pass, drop back and pass a lot, Warren's going to be the guy. He's not. Like he's splitting splitting the role with Najee Harris. So I, I don't know what, what to do with either of these guys. I mean, I think they're they're only startable in 14-team formats. Yeah, they really I – mean, 12-team leagues, like you kind of got to keep them around in the hope that something changes. Right, but right. I'm in the habit now. Of being, I, I had like a – temporary and like I had a face blindness and I took Najee Harris in one of my home leagues and everyone made fun of me immediately. And it's been like the worst, I think the first and only time I've ever drafted him. I think, I don't even remember what the thought process was, but yeah, I'm already not playing him ever. That's pretty funny. Face blindness. Huh? <laughs> this is the, the number one issue plaguing fantasy. Uh, by the way, you want to hear a 10 minute old joke, by the way, uh, you mentioned, you know, feeding the family. With Chris Olave's air yards, just keeping the hearth uh, stoked with those air yards here oh, yeah. in the dirty abode. We love that. We love it. The kids love, love it. That's for sure. Really, really love the Rich Rebar. Won't stop calling my landline every 20 minutes and hanging, just saying Chris Olave sucks. And hanging <laughs> it is. It's rude. I, I would say, Rich, if you're listening, I, I could you could you please stop throwing tomatoes at my house? I don't have a landline, by the way. Not even I'm boomer enough for a landline. I'm sure everything will be totally fine when the yeah. power grid goes down, the satellite tower or whatever, the cell phone towers go out. That'd be uh, good. And the, the Zoomers don't know how good landlines sounded. I will say that. They sound so, great. So, 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 so good. They you know what uh, doesn't sound good is Arthur Smith. He's a horrible guy. 
uh, it is personal <laughs> with me. I'll just be honest, it's personal. Obviously. I'm not going to pretend that it's not personal. 28-23, Falcons lose to the Titans. They're starting Will Levis. It's supposedly going to be a quarterback rotation with Malik Willis. Uh, he got one bad snap once. wasn't his fault. They fumbled it. <laughs> Never heard from him again. Uh, but Will Levis comes in, keeps dropping dimes, easily outplays Desmond Ritter, who is benched. Uh, they claim not for performance reasons. He was evaluated for concussion, cleared from the concussion immediately, looked totally fine on the sidelines, but then they said it was still health-related that he didn't play. Anyways, I'm laying out this game, and you're going to ask me about it, Denny Carter. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we'll start with the Falcons' side. So uh, I actually uh, need to know, how did the post-Week 7 Bijan apocalypse backfield work here how, how how was it split up between Bijan, cordero patterson and uh tyler algier just the same as it was before the apocalypse there was i thought even arthur smith might have to have some sort of apology or even arthur smith might acknowledge so desmond ritter not that he had been looking better in recent weeks but whatever minimal progress he'd made has already stopped it was going back in reverse today could not move the ball couldn't move the chains at all uh, they, they needed a spark so bad. They ended up getting a spark from the fake concussion and bringing in Taylor Heineke. But in the first half, it was just screaming out, just give the number eight pick the ball, man. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what you're doing. Just give him the ball. I, I don't know what kind of like psychodrama is playing out in your head. Like what point you were trying to prove to like what high school football coach angered you out there, but just give him the ball. And he didn't do it. Uh, 11 carries. Uh, it was only the third time all year. Tyler Algier did not reach 10 carries. Uh, the, the Falcons were playing from behind almost the entire afternoon, or even the Falcons had to pass a lot more. Taylor Heineke passed a lot in the second half. Uh, so there was no apology. There was just a resumption of the pre-week seven, pre-fake uh, headache status quo. We did get our first rushing touchdown from Bijan Robinson. Yeah. It was a 13-yarder, though. It was on a pitch. It, you know, they, they, do not, they don't let Bijan, no matter, like, this guy can't get between the tackles. Nothing can be easy. No, Nothing it's a lure. They cannot ever get it. has no matter what they want him. I mean, coaches are normally like, just stop trying to find the edge every play. Yeah. Yeah. Stop trying to bounce it outside. They, they only want Bijan to bounce it. Right. And he got a pitch and he bounced it and scored a 13 yard touchdown. But I, to my, you know, I'm not a film watcher. To my untrained eye, nothing at all was different okay. with Bijan okay. Robinson's usage in this game. I, I, you know, on my Friday uh, QA on the NFL and NBC YouTube channel, uh, uh, two people asked me, do I trade Bijan Robinson for Alvin Kamara? And I almost fell out of my chair. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah you do that. Sad. You do. Because one guy's seeing 25 touches a game and the other is not. The other guy's seeing 25 touches a month. Yeah, it's but really that's great stuff. It's, I don't know what we expected. I don't know why we thought they'd give a fourth round pick. You know, all this work. I know, um, but but here we are. Not like he's a, a top 10 pick. So, <laughs> not the Joker. Not the Joker. So you want to go to the other side of the ball? You want to go to the Titans now? Just real quick, Taylor Heineke had the spark, like I said. I mean, we okay. all know Taylor Heineke gets exposed immediately when he plays turnovers, but there's at least something there. There's at least big play upside. There's at least you can, like, go faster with Taylor yeah. Heineke. There's no tempo to Desmond Riddle's game like whatsoever. There's no question in my mind, even though Taylor Heineke is almost as big of a turnover machine as Desmond Ritter, that they need to go to Taylor Heineke. Arthur Smith made it sound like after the game, basically. They were not going to do that. Uh, but two teams with quarterback issues because, yes, Denny, Will Levis, four tutters as they are known. Oh, and, man, 
I mean, instantly looked better than Ryan Tannehill has literally ne- ever looked in his whole career. I yeah, was, no. I, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I'm. I was cringing today because I was like, "Oh God, this guy's really good." No, it was crazy. He did have a lot more juice, and I mean, this is a defense in the Falcons that I thought was kind of a paper tiger, like top ten defense. The defense lost pretty big time interior presence, Grady Jarrett, earlier in the game. But the thing that Will Levis, like nothing about this was cheap. Like he was doing like real downfield throws. Yeah. Like these were downfield throws. So he had a 47 yard touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre did commit blatant offensive pass. <laughs> right. He threw the guy. He like threw. truly blatant. Uh, but then Will Levis hit him in stride, hit him in stride on a 61 yard touchdown on the other sideline in the second half. Hit Nick Westbrook Akinye on a 33-yard touchdown in stride in the end zone. And these were like actual deep passes. This wasn't like fake Tannehill deep passing where like the world's most elaborate play fake scheme yeah. someone wide open. Like he was actually throwing the ball deep down the field. I can't remember. Maybe one or two of them were a play fake. He was using a shoulder fake a lot. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, I, saw, was, I saw the shoulder fake and people were go, falling for it hard. They were. It was like Ben Roethlisberger in his prime, like shoulder faking like everybody. Yeah. Um, and again – I, maybe I forgot a play action or so or two on some of these plays, but like he was actually Tannehill's like the the scammiest deep ball thrower ever. Like but Tannehill hits long touchdowns. The yards per attempt was nine point eight that I one mean, year. He was good. Yeah. It's all play action. Will Levis was throwing deep and hitting people in stride. A humongously more difficult test in Week Nine on the road against the Steelers. Even though you've mentioned the Steelers could be vulnerable. I mean, Mike Tomlin on a short week on the road for Will Levis seems very bad. Yeah, I I was thinking about that, you know, kind of kind of balancing the short week with the injuries to the Steelers and everything. But I mean, hey, look, I think Levis could be great, uh, great development for Hopkins. You know, obviously this this is a nuclear performance. This is it for the season. You're not getting any any more of these. No, no. But like like he can make Hopkins viable. He can make maybe even Traylon Burks viable. If things get going, you know. Yeah, Traylon had a great catch down the sideline where he just could not quite get both feet in mouth. That always seems to be the case for Traylon. It's always like, there's just one little thing he I couldn't know. do. I know. But I think the situation now um, with Will Levis is that if he performs even reasonably well against the Steelers, they might just commit to it. Like, so Tannehill is officially in getting all the time he needs to get better territory. And then if Will Levis like looks good on this short week in week nine, uh, Tannehill might get the rest of the season to look get healthier. Yeah, and and there's no reason, of course, for the Titans not to do that. They need to see what they got in the second rounder. Right. The, the Titans could tell Tannehill uh, to take his time until 2024. They could, they, 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 the James Webb Telescope has determined it's actually the highest ankle sprain, unfortunately, <laughs> in the history of the NFL. Ryan, it can't get higher. Yeah, I'm sorry we had to get a third opinion on your ankle, but it's actually so 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 tragically high. So uh, as for the Tennessee backfield, anything of note there? Um, Derrick Henry, uh, any involvement in the pass game or no? He did. I think he caught four passes. And Derrick Henry is the classic shocker. He actually had space to operate in the in the running game when the passing game is not so incompetent. And again, the Falcons lost Grady Jarrett early. That helps, I'm sure. But yeah, when, when you can actually move the ball and sustain <laughs> drives with something beyond as Derrick Henry runs – uh, it's very good for Derrick Henry, and it resulted in his second 100-yard game of the season. Uh, didn't get the touchdown, but you know it doesn't seem like he's going to be traded. Cause it seems like the Titans will have to be knocked out, and no one's going to knock them out at this point for running back who's almost 30. But Will Levis, being even like 60 to 70% as good as he was on Sunday would right. be a pretty big development for Derrick Henry going forward. 
Yeah, that, that would be awesome. I mean, I, it looks like Henry's going to stay with Tennessee, although the Titans reportedly did get some offers. Um, but they're they're not going to listen to reasonable offers. They want they want uh, some sort of insane package. So the trade packages are increasing, but probably not to the degree that the Titans want them. Uh, final note: Drake London minor groin injury. Look out for this that this week. Just he would benefit so much from Taylor Heineke. And again, we're not trying to oversell Taylor Heineke, who you may remember commits a turnover like every seventh pass. But unlike Desmond Ritter, he actually also mixes in big plays. Um, so, yeah. I did see. I did, and speaking, of that, I did see that that uh, unlike Desmond Ritter, Heineke was not really peppering the tight ends with targets here. So, he, that, although I, I believe uh, I was about to start talking about the Titans, Chico Conquo had a season high six targets. I uh, know, yeah, one target for Jonu Smith. Uh, so, well, Taylor Heineke might he might return sanity to the Falcons <laughs> and a little insanity too. That's kind of what he does. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it. We'll return sanity to your life by ending Denny Carter's hit. Thank you so much, Denny. Thank you. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of an infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We are now joined by Kyle Dvorak, who had unfortunately the worst news of the day, Kirk Cousins' season-ending Achilles injury. We're also going to get into the Jets outlasting the Giants in a far funnier game, uh, one of the worst football games ever played, of course, um, in the Meadowlands, 13-10 Jets victory. He's going to ask me about the Dolphins continuing to own Bill Belichick under Tua Tagovailoa. Tour has never lost to Bill Belichick. Uh, pretty hilarious. But yeah, Kirk Cousins, sad for Kirk, of course. But we're sad for all the ripple down effect too. Jordan Addison has been breaking out. TJ Hawkinson has been a top three tight end. We're waiting on Justin Jefferson, the best player in fantasy to get back. Who knows how serious he will be about getting back now? Understandably so. This, I kind of just said it, but how apocalyptically bad is the season ending injury for Kirk Cousins in the Vikings offense? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty dreadful. Kirk Cousins was on pace for what would have been a really good year. Statistically, efficiency-wise, wasn't quite as good as the raw numbers looked. But you can sort of, I think that's sort of acceptable in the sense of if a team has the confidence to go out and let you throw 
35 to 40 times a game, you're almost fine with the diminishing returns of passing the football because the opposite is even if you're, say, like slightly more efficient, like Desmond Ritter does actually kind of well in the EPA stats, he is so coddled by his offense. And, and EPA, EPA down bad there. Yeah, EPA down bad on this one. But even the past few weeks, he's had like the fumbles, bad throws, but he's so coddled that it can sort of hide how bad he is. Kirk Cousins is just able to go out there, throw 40 times a game and put up solid numbers. And that translates to elite fantasy production. And it can be a tight end, like a top five tight end. Tight end one doesn't really mean much. A top five, top three tight end, the number one receiver in the NFL, and then a good flex option. We're just not getting that with, I'm assuming it's Jaron Hall. I mean, Jaron Hall was it in this game. I, say, who, I didn't even, I quite literally did not know who the backup was until just now. When yeah, fifth that. or sixth round rookie from BYU didn't really start to late in his college career. I think he had like a decent preseason, if I remember correctly. But I mean, fifth round rookie from BYU was a late, late, like fifth year declare, I think that tells you. Sounds horrifying. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He didn't. We didn't see almost any of him in this game. I think his first drive ended uh, with a sack fumble. Guy comes from behind. He doesn't see it, and ball pops out. I mean, yeah, it's going to be pretty awful. Kirk Cousins was perfect for the way this team was set up fantasy wise, and it was starting to work out real life. What they started the year one and three, I think, or maybe even one and four. They were going to make an end around playoff run. It was starting. They totally were. I I mean, I at one and three or four, whatever it was, I was one hundred percent. This team should sell Kirk Cousins, they should be trading all their guys like Ezra Cleveland, Daniel Hunter. And then halfway through this game, I, I did seem pretty like they were going to win. And I, I didn't want to say I wanted to reverse course because it's not like they had Super Bowl realistic aspirations. Maybe they would tell themselves that. But I was understanding of the idea that back they're back at four and four, essentially, if the game finished out as expected. And they play in the NFC North. The, the lines are good, but they're not world beaters. And now they're right back to square one of like, I get that you're four and four, but What's your choice here? Kirk Cousins is a free agent in the upcoming offseason. So it's going to be very bad for the offense, but it sort of puts out any hopes of the last hurrah we were getting from Kirk Cousins, where like I think they were a decent shot to make the playoffs. They're probably right around a coin flip to make the playoffs if they had won this game without losing Cousins. So it's just disappointing all around from the way the team had sort of turned everything around recently. Yeah, they were 0-3 and, and one and four. Now back to four and four, like you mentioned. And yeah, just hard to imagine a more impactful injury because of how much he was throwing and just how much he was supporting in fantasy. And th- th- this is one of the most catastrophic fantasy injuries we could have seen in this season. Yeah, right? yeah. I really wouldn't be surprised if they look at the at the free agent market. I mean, it's so blue. Yeah, they, they're gonna have to look. At the, they're, they're not starting Jaron Hall. They're, I don't think so either. Or no at way. least at least they'll get. He's gonna start next week. They just don't. I think maybe like Nick Mullins is stashed in the back. They might start sure. Carson Wentz next week, man. I, I don't think you can start Jaron. I, I think this is even more dire than like whatever the Jets were dealing with. I, I don't <laughs> think you can possibly start Darren Hall. Uh, I'll have to find out who Excuse this quarterback is at some point. At some point, it was uh, it was Nick Mullins on this roster. I don't remember if it is him now. I think they'll start him for one week, sort of the way Dorian Thompson Robinson got one start, and then he, he flopped, obviously, and that would be the expectation for Jaron Hollis. It's pretty likely it's not going to work out well for him. And at that point, even if it's a practice squad call-up guy, the level of P.J. Walker, who's not really good, just that level of stability of like he's played games in the NFL before – I wouldn't say it's really worked out well for the Browns. It got him one win, I think, in PJ's first start. But that's my guess is what we'll see. Except maybe, hopefully for the fantasy guys, that PJ Walker ends up being not a practice squad call-up. And like you said, it's Carson Wentz. It's it's bad. Even if it's, it's bad, it doesn't really. It's very very bad. I mean, it could be like fifteen carries each for Alexander Madison. 
Cam Akers. It's so weird though, because I, I, you know, I thought about that. Obviously, when we talk about the Giants game, I'll tell you about the team that goes to their third string quarterback and decides they never want to see him throw, but they have a good running back in Saquon Barkley. This team has the, uh, for my money, probably the least efficient backfield in the entire NFL. So that's not an option. Jared maybe get more be an option. If it becomes a run designed offense, like I think, I think the problem is the talent. I, I mean, I, I think the they talent have, is a humongous issue. I think it could maybe get slightly more efficient if it just became. Like they're not even interested in like rushing efficiency right now. Yeah, I, I definitely think the more coaches are going to put effort into scheming the entire game around averaging 4.2 yards a carry, the closer they'll get to that objective. But that's still going to be terrible for the offense. And that would be a win if they started averaging like 4.2. I think both their guys averaged like 2.1 and 1.7 yards a carry in Madison and, and Cam Akers in this game. So even if they design a better ground game, to some degree, you have to have the talent to support that, and they have two of the least talented starting running, potentially starting running backs in the NFL. Real quick, I mean, which running back are you ranking higher for Alexander Madison or Cam Akers? It, it's, it was more weirdness going on. Alexander Madison did out end up out carrying Cam Akers sixteen to nine. Madison caught one pass. Cam Akers wasn't targeted. Now he caught one pass too. Uh, is it still Cam Akers getting like a kind of like a lifetime achievement award ranking, like in the top thirty? No, I mean, uh, Madison outcarried him so much was 16 to nine. I believe that you still have to roll like you have to rank them higher. I don't I'm not going to have either of these guys as even close to RB threes, because like I said, I think no matter who gets the carries, they're just they haven't shown any level of efficiency. And that was when they had a quarterback who you had to respect. Now, no matter what happens next week, their quarterback will not be someone who demands that teams drop extra cornerbacks into into the secondary no. as opposed to sacking the box. Honestly, if you're a defense, you're just like you're you're picking the opposite of your poison. Do we want to destroy their running backs and make them average one yard a carry, or do we want to just force probably Jaron Hall for a week to drop back and do his best to not get? To- I still I have a hard time believing in me, Jaron Hall, but like you said, I mean, I get he is the front runner in the clubhouse, but yeah, front runner. They definitely I don't know. I can see them getting desperate and signing Carson Wentz or Nick Mullins is on the roster, I believe. Uh, and doing anything other than Jaron Hall, basically. <laughs> the other side, another horrible box score for Jordan Love. Did he look as bad as this box score? Is he just still the most inaccurate passer in football? It, it, he's had worse box scores, which is probably a bad sign, since since it was 24-41 <laughs> for 229 yards, four sacks. Did he look as bad as that box score suggests? Uh, there's an interception in that box score, right? I think a one touchdown, one interception. I'll say that's I wanted to mention it because then I wanted to shoot it down. The interception wasn't his fault. It was actually a pretty strong throw where I, I assume, you know, I don't get all the angles, but it looks like he very clearly saw a uh, Viking safety. I forget the Viking safety numbers facing Jordan Love. You see the cornerback or the safety's numbers and you think, oh, he's not knowing the ball is coming. I can throw it to the guy. He throws at Jaden Reed, well-placed ball, hits Jaden Reed first, and then the safety just takes the ball from Jaden Reed. Like, Jaden Reed, not <laughs> a particularly big dude, and the safety, who looked like a linebacker on the replay, just turns around and just takes it from him. Reed hadn't gotten possession, like, full possession yet, so it goes down as interception. That one, not his fault. Like, I truly have no fault. Actually, it was a good throw and a, a good decision to make the throw as well. But the rest of it, yeah, just, you know, overthrows, underthrows, doesn't seem to be reading defenses super well not particularly accurate. I I don't know. I just don't see a lot going on with him. It's not even horrific mistakes. At least it wasn't in this game. I, I think that's probably the 
one thing you can take away if you want to take away something is it wasn't making terrible mistakes. It just feels like for a guy who came out of college as, you know, the supposed toolsy guy, he was sort of the heir to the Josh Allen. We have this beautiful block of clay. We can make something out of him. I don't even see the tools he plays from this. No, guy. We were debating this in the Slack today where the tools were oversold. Tools were definitely oversold. Like I don't see him making like the cannon throws, but I also don't see him doing like the crazy runs that Josh Allen does. They ran, I think near identical forties, but Josh Allen's like 15 pounds heavier. So like, yeah, he has some physical tools, but they're not enough where you see flashes of it and you go like, give him another year where like I, I was wrong about Josh Allen's progress, but I understood the theoretical upside of Josh Allen. I just think it was likely to happen. I don't even see that when I watched Jordan. Love, hey, jo- so. Josh Allen at least always physically resembled Cam Newton. Yeah, exactly. He was Jordan. Very close to Cam you could. It was very easy for any layperson to spot the physical talent and tools of Josh Allen. Much less so with Jordan. I do not think Jordan. I don't even know if Jordan Love will finish the season as starter. I actually think he's been that bad. I mean, definitely. You could possible. ask. Like, why not give them the whole season? But maybe they want to see what they have in Sean Clifford. Uh, by the way, the next time the Packers play a game, it's going to be the month of November, and Aaron Jones will yet to have had a game where he got 10 carries, reached Ooh. 10 carries. God is an ugly word. Um, is, is he down forever? What's going on? Wait, why? What is? I've seen a lot of people complaining about the Packers' like offensive design. It seems like a, a very fair criticism. How this, I mean, maybe he's just still not healthy, but well, no, he's definitely not still healthy. Matt LaFleur said he's not 100%. I, I think that's it was hard, you know, it's hard to parse words for a coach when he's saying this player's not 100%, but he's literally removed from the injury report, didn't even get a questionable tag. I think maybe more so what he was gunning for is that like a lot of players aren't 100%. He's maybe a little less than the rest of the not 100% players, but if they're not listing him on the injury report, as in they didn't list him as questionable and he's out there, like. He's healthy enough to play. I just think they're gravely concerned with him re-aggravating the injury, which he already did once, I believe. And he's he not did. like a big dude. He struggled with injuries at points in his career. I struggle to see within the next few weeks them getting him up to like a 15-carry, five-catch game. Yeah, I just think the team is being protective with him and also uh, both protective from him coming back and then protective from the next injury as well. And the offense is terrible. So like, it's not like, oh, well, he can get 12 touches, but he can get there on 12 touches. I don't think he can get there on 12 touches on this offense. No, he cannot. We'll go quicker on this next game. One of the worst football games you will ever, ever see. Oh, uh, 13 to 10 Jets overtime victory over the Giants. A really, really, really bad loss for the Giants. Totally gave the game away. Also, just an embarrassing all-around game for the Giants. So Tyrod Taylor... Was it his hand or his ribs? It was his ribs. He was clutching. Well, he was clutching his hand into his body. And I, you know, a lot of people, myself included, were like, oh, it's his hand. Then almost after, right after that, they ruled him out with ribs. He had to go to the hospital. So he, he's ruled out in the hospital. They bring in this guy. Another, you had games, two games where 25 year old rookies appeared at quarterback. I Tommy know. DeVito had literally never heard of Tommy DeVito. Two of seven for my negative one passing yards. Just embarrassing. A guy, Tyron Taylor is pretty injury prone. No offense to Tyron Taylor. You need to have a better backup than Tommy DeVito if you're rolling with Tyrod Taylor for several weeks. And just everything went wrong for the Giants. Darren Waller leaves with an injury. No one had more than four receiving yards in the Giants. This is negative nine passing yards. It's not even net. Negative nine actual passing yards. The net was negative 25 because of 16 yards of sacks. Uh, So nothing going on for the Giants whatsoever. The Jets – Zach Wilson uh, didn't come out of the bye. Was it, was it their bye? I don't know. Looking uh, like he had improved at all. Uh, they did get the big play, though, to Brees Hall. 50-yard receiving touchdown. We got Garrett Wilson to 100 yards finally 
We are so, so thankful in our yardage <laughs> bonus leagues, everybody. Uh, 100 on the dot, right? 100 on the dot, praying for no stat corrections. Yeah. Uh, so I tried to just lay this game out, but what can you add about what you wish? This game is terrible. I, I can't believe I had to launch this. And then the looming threat of it going into overtime, I'll, I'll lay the scene because there's like nothing to talk about. Literally nothing to talk about the Giants. If Daniel Jones is reportedly eyeing a week 10 return, if you look at the calendar, it's week eight, which means not next week. Uh, then Tyron Taylor in the hospital. I think Tommy DeVito might actually be starting or they don't have, I don't think they have a practice squad quarterback on the roster. So not only, unlike uh, the Vikings, who probably have a third, I assume it's Nick Mullins, it doesn't matter, whatever the third quarterback situation is, he's been around the team for a bit. The Nick Mullins of this team was already Tommy DeVito. There are three quarterbacks deep on this roster. Saquon Barkley for this game was the emergency quarterback, and he got some Wildcat snaps. Uh, anyway, this game is dreadful. Like, you look at the the drive log on ESPN, it's like punt, punt, miss field goal, punt, 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 punt fumble, punt, punt, field goal. One Brees Hall touchdown. Uh, eventually Tommy DeVito touchdown or something, but point being, no, no, there was no, Oh God, he did have a rushing, rushing touchdown, touchdown oh, baby. <laughs> no, not a passing. <laughs> touchdown. Clear. He literally had negative passing yards as you pointed out. But yeah, we get to the end of the game. Uh, Zach Wilson takes one of the worst, like taken sacks. Like it wasn't like, I mean, he got hit hard, but like it wasn't the pain or the, it was like a classic, the controller turned off sack. He looked like he was oh, drifting. He's strafing. Yeah. He was like strafing. Like he the controller strafing. died as he was strafing left, <laughs> but like, I, I think he's right. Almost every quarterback is right-handed. I don't know how he doesn't see Kayvon Thibodeau coming after him. Kayvon Thibodeau just lays him out on any other team. That play with like under the two minute warning or right around it ends the game. You just don't have the timeouts or whatever to stop your opponents. But of course the other team has Tommy DeVito. So they get the ball back. Zach Wilson's credit to really, I mean, this was the most prevent. We don't care defense I've ever seen from the giants, but two good throws from Zach Wilson, 29 yards each gets them in field goal range. But man, given how horrible both of these teams played that first pass, I think the first pass was to Garrett Wilson. And then I realized they might actually be able to make the drive. I am just dreading watching this game go into overtime. And it went as, as poorly as you can imagine in overtime. It was just a dark, bad dark Tommy stuff. DeVito drive. And I don't even remember how the Jets got I think it was like a good punt. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, it, was they, they, punt. it was a, it was a horrible punt. punt. It, it did take a nice little Giants roll, but it didn't <laughs> matter. They hit Garrett Wilson again. They, again, they got Garrett to 100. That, yeah, they got Garrett to 100. Wilson and then is a hero, no matter they what. They draw DPI. I think it was like Xavier Gibson, I think, is the... Oh, like the yeah. It was it was one of, it was a pretty ticky-tacky uh, DPI. Yeah, draws DPI. Uh, and, you know, it's just the perfect way for this game to end. Shank, punt, DPI, field goal. Like the Dory Jackson did made no effort to play the ball. <laughs> they actually did have to call it. It was He was very unlucky, I think but it was like classic. Like, I know I'm asking you about my game. I think it was like an overthrow where he just doesn't even try. It was. Uh, it was bad. He runs yeah. right through. I think it was Xavier Gibson. But yeah, just two dreadful teams. They lost Darren Waller early, re-aggravated the hamstring injury. Only thing from that side of the ball to note is that Saquon Barkley ran a career high 36 times. Doesn't get in the end zone. I guess they did technically have a chance to get there because we had the DeVito touchdown. And this is what we're going to see. It was so funny. In the first half, right after Tyrod goes down, Tommy DeVito actually gets a few chances to drop back and it goes something like sack, uh, incompletion, incompletion. Then he gets another drive. There was a penalty mixed in there too. I was watching the game by this point. Yeah. My games were like over. morbid curiosity yeah. watching this game. And then he, he runs out of bounds on a third down where he doesn't convert, but they weren't in field goal range. You stay in bounds to kill the clock. Don't give your opponent a chance to even block a punt or return the punt. And you can tell after the series of like sack, incompletions 
And then this like very minor seeming, but just kind of a blunder from the quarterback. Brian Dable said, we are never going to see this guy drop back again. And that's what they're going to do next week. Either that or they're going to call a practice, like sign someone in the practice squad and then call him up. At which point that guy will also be in a very similar situation. Zero players to play from this team other than Saquon Barkley. And on the other side, uh, two players to play. Brees Hall, but he just has to break the long one. Catch or run because this offense is, is dreadful. They're like, they're demanding no respect as, as far as the quarterback goes. So you can just stack the box against Brees. Everyone's finally breaks the long one and you get there, but you're going to eat some like 18 touch, 22 yard, no, no touchdowns games from him and Garrett Wilson, a 36% target share. So out of this game, three usable fantasy players next week. Tom DeVito might even have less chance of starting than Jaron Hall does in week I feel nine. That. Brings us to our final game of the segment. The Dolphins 31, the Patriots 17, Kyle. The Dolphins is having another party. Tua Tagovailoa, 6-0 lifetime against Bill Belichick. Hilarious, one of the most ridiculous stats. The most ever wins by a quarterback against a coach with at least 300 career victories. Uh, Tua just addicted to beating the greatest coach in NFL history. And everyone got home in this game. The, the Tyreek Hill hip injury is going to go down. as one of the fakest injuries that ever existed. Eight catches, 112 yards. 42-yard touchdown where he split a double team was never touched off the line of scrimmage by the Patriots. Very, very bold call by the Patriots. Jalen Waddell, finally a 100-yard game, seven catches, 121 yards. He got a 31-yard touchdown. Every Dolphin, even Raheem Mostert, kind of got stonewalled by this good Patriots run defense. He got a touchdown. Everyone got home for the Dolphins. Uh, fewer people got home for the Patriots. Kendrick Bourne did get home with a 24-yard touchdown. But he suffered a really bad-looking knee injury, kind of a non-contact that turned into a contact knee injury. He might be staring in an extended absence. Devontae Parker concussed. Uh, I just laid it out, but what would anything you'd like to know about this game? Yeah, I, I saw you in our Slack chat saying uh, Raheem Mostert down hellaciously bad, as we saw more Jeff Wilson this week. <laughs> Box score doesn't seem as terrible as no, no, you that, made that, it sound. To me, that was very early in the game. I think he had like five carries for seven yards. Like He was getting stonewalled. Erling ended up 13 for 46 because things did open up. The Dolphins got like a multi-score lead. The Patriots were hanging around for a while. The Patriots opened it up in the second half. Jeff Wilson did finally play football. He got seven touches in this game. Salvin Ahmed got six touches in this game. Pro football focus, their early snap counts. Most are 43 snaps. Ahmed and Jeff Wilson both 19. That's not great for Raheem Mostert. I do think maybe Raheem Mostert is kind of just hitting his his brick wall too that he hit last year. He's a guy I was saying in our Slack too. Like he's someone when he's on the injury report, like I take notice because he he's one of those guys where I feel like he's to be finely tuned. Like he has to be running truly a hundred percent healthy. And he was getting brick walled earlier in the game, but he, when the space opened up, he did have a few nice runs, a few like eight or ten yard runs, and he got the touchdown. But Raheem Mostert is someone I will monitor very very carefully. It's not like I'm not playing him. You know, four teams on by, of course, too. In in week nine, he's still a borderline RB1, not even anywhere close to not starting consideration, obviously. But I, I wouldn't be stunned if we've already gotten our, our biggest contributions for him most. Are, of course, Devin Achan could be coming back from IR soon. Is he eligible this week? I kind of I can't remember if it's this week or next week. I wish that we knew. Yeah, uh, it's either, there's no Google. Way to know. There's no Google Devin A. Chan Roto World if you were listening to this podcast. That's a good point. Like there is a site actually that really does a good job keeping track of all of this. Uh, looking at the other backfield, again, no 
real fantasy points to speak of in the backfield, but I at least want to keep tabs on the usage. Ramondre Stevenson, 10 carries, 39. Zeke, 7 carries, 36. Not really much receiving production from either. It doesn't look like. I mean, does it even matter who gets the majority of carries here? It doesn't. And Zeke has basically been phased out of the passing game. He's like one or two catches over the past three weeks. Uh, Roger Stevens have been finally commanding more targets, only two catches for 11 yards on four targets. I think he'd had six each of the past two weeks. Ramondre was looking angry. He had some angry runs in the first half. He got a goal line carry. He did not convert from the three. That was disappointing. We had an already bad offense environment. It's going to be a lot worse if Kendrick Bourne is hurt. So that, that's a, a big injury to monitor this week. That could have a lot of downstream effects. Uh, just because he, he's one of the only things keeping this Patriots offense like even vaguely competent. And if he's not out there, that's going to have ripple, ripple down effects for the backfield too. They really, really need uh, Kendrick Bourne have somehow avoided serious injury. But there's a good chance by the time you're, you're hearing this, there's going to be a report like it's Kendrick Bourne's ACL, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so that's a really, really important one to keep tabs on this week. Uh, I write the waiver wire column every week. Should I write up a receiver from this team? Demario Douglas, a, a five-catch performance if you ask me how many yards it is you'll be disappointed 25 yards seven targets also led the team it looks like about a 25 percent target share I, he's like solid but I, I see juju got back in the box score with a touchdown did the did the mario douglas role have any meat on the bone because you know it I did think- a little bit five catches new season high seven targets his most since week one by far makes the most sense as like the one for one replacement for kendrick Bourne. juju smith is just he's just dead legged man he he can't get it going. One tar- his touchdown was his only target. And then he, the only other time he popped up, uh, he concussed a Dolphin safety and then celebrated over him and was flagged. He, he did apologize. <laughs> uh, he did apologize, but it was a uh, what they called not a good look from Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, so uh, he just seems like he's got nothing left in his legs. It's it's crazy. And yeah, Demario Douglas should be in your waiver wire column if Kendrick Bourne is missing any amount of time. Cool. You got anything else from this game? I mean, you had, you had one good team in the Dolphins more than yeah. I had. Chase Claypool yeah. caught his first Dolphins pass. That was nice. How'd it go? How'd it go? I like Chase Claypool. I, I didn't even see when it happened. I missed it. There. <laughs> 15-yard catch, two targets. Durham Smythe, nothing going. Uh, yeah, that about, that about covers this game. That about covers this segment with Kyle Dvorak. Check out Kyle's waiver wire column. Check out our Q&A on Monday evening, 6 p.m. Eastern, and rotoworld.com. Kyle, thank you so much. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of an infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're now joined by Mr. Eric Smolski. We didn't have a Bills game to give him this week since they played on Thursday night. You got to tilt your face off on Thursday nights. Sorry the Bills have been so tilting lately. You got a tilting game today and the Chiefs doing absolutely nothing against the Broncos. We'll get to that one in a second. But we'll start with the Panthers beating the Texans 15-13, to 13, a true outlasting. I believe there was a walk-off field goal in this game. First win of Bryce Young's career. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did you see from Bryce Young? Let's start there. It, not, not a beautiful box score, but not, yeah. not a bad box score. Six sacks for 55 yards. That's uh, That'll hurt the yeah. net. But what did you see from Bryce Young? I think any analysis here is shaped by the fact that there were three touchdowns scored in this game. One was by Andrew Beck and one was by Tommy Tremble. Um, So that should just tell you. That's a rug pull. That's a rug pull game. That's a rug pull. Really should tell you all you need to know about this game. Listen, Bryce Young made some good throws. Um, You know, we, we shared some videos of some on the, on the slack. I mean, there was some good throws where he rolled out of the pocket where he made some good throws on the run. There were also moments where he held on to the ball for way too long. I mean, his offensive line is not great, but these six sacks were um, there was a you know, there were a fair few of them that were on him, just trying to do too much, not taking the dump off or or seeing what the hot route is or anything like that. Um, again, he's a rookie quarterback, so those things are going to to happen. You know, 22 of 31 for 235 yards and a touchdown um, is solid. He didn't make mistakes other than holding onto the ball too long. So, you know, you're not mad at that. Um, on the receiving end, Adam Thielen is is just in your lineup all the time now. He's cooking. He's cooking. Yeah, eight, eight catches on 11 targets for 72 yards. That's not a great game in leagues that are non-PPR. It's a good game, though. You're not mad at it. And in a PPR game, uh, you're in a PPR league, you're super happy with it. The, the, um, the, money, the money printer continues to go burr. Yeah. And listen, I mean, I know that he's his name pops up in some trade rumors. Um, so we'll see what happens this week. If he stays on the team, I think he stays in your lineup. And then what was interesting to me was actually uh, Jonathan Mingo ran the most... Uh, had played the most snaps, ran the most routes, had one more target than DJ Chark. It's basically him and and Chark are basically have the uh, have identical roles, right? Mingo played sixty six snaps to Chark sixty two. Mingo had thirty nine routes to Chark's thirty eight. Mingo had five targets to Chark's four. They both dropped catchable passes in this game as well. Um, as. But Mingo, I think, is is being more. I mean, he had a really a long of forty. He's being used a little bit more to push the ball down the field. Um, and I know that you know Chark is is you know had a good relationship with Bryce Young in the in preseason. They look good together on the field. It just makes sense for the Panthers in a lost year, even though they did win this game. I mean, they're still one and six. So like, really see what they can get from Mingo. I think he's going to be on the field a lot. I do too. And. The Thielen, Thielen stuff, they need to keep him just for Bryce Young's development. They, In theory, it'd be good to cash in on him, but I think they will probably keep him around so they have someone to help develop Bryce Young. Yeah, I just like this isn't Major League Baseball, right? Like no. where you sign somebody to a one-year deal, you flip them at the deadline no. for like really intriguing prospects that turn into Jordan Alvarez or something. I mean, no, no. It, like you're not going to get enough for him to, to, to have it de- be detrimental to Bryce Young's development. Eric, it's curious that everyone focuses on the Cardinals trading Randy Rosarena. No one ever says anything 
about the Dodgers trading Jordan Alvarez. And I know yeah. that we DFA'd Adolis Garcia. Guess who else DFA'd Adolis Garcia? The Rangers. <laughs> and and, and when the Rangers DFA'd Adolis Garcia, not one team claimed exactly. him, and he went back so, to the Rangers. We're yeah. just saying. We're just saying. So I asked you about how Bryce Young looked. I was more interested heading into this game and the Texans box score coming off by one of Nico Collins to kind of resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he'd been something a little bit coming the by. I wanted him to get back in the box score game. Tank Dell, his, his momentum had been totally stopped by injuries. I wanted to see him get back in the box score game. Yeah. Robert Woods out multiple weeks, uh, but it just it didn't happen. Noah Brown coming back. We were concerned about that for Tank Dell. We didn't get a good box score for Nico Collins or Tank Dell. What was the deal there? Yeah, I'll just real quick before we get into the Panthers. I did, or sorry, the Texans. I did just want to point out the Panthers' backfield was essentially all Chuba Hubbard. Um, Fifteen carries, uh, twenty-eight yards. So it wasn't great, um, but he had he played the most snaps. He had the most carries. Um, Miles Sanders basically got the same exact amount of work as Raheem Blackshear. It's Joker. Um, which, you know, I mean, he played 12 snaps. He got zero targets and two carries. He had zero yards yeah, on those 12 two carries. Snaps. That's in a game that was close. Though. That's bad. bad I bad. mean, the only thing I would say to people that have Miles Sanders is I think it makes sense to keep him on your bench for another week or two because Hubbard was not particularly good. I mean, he averaged 1.9 yards a carry. So um, even though it looks like it's his backfield now, like if he doesn't do anything with it, they may go back. Um, Juba had failed out of touches before too. His rookie yes. year, he was not impressive. He failed out of touches. I do agree with the Miles Sanders is not an auto cut, but that it's it, not looking good because no. the Panthers on by last week. I believe they were. They and were on by two uh, two weeks ago. Either way, he's bookending. Uh, well, let me look. We might as well just look this up really we should quick. Figure it out. They were out there. They were by in week seven, so yeah. he came out of the bye. That's true. Like yeah. Twelve snaps, two touches. Yeah, it'd be bad enough for just a regular game but to come out of the bye with this young team, you know, trying to implement their like their going forward usage patterns, and that's mm-hmm. two Miles Sanders touches. That's about as bad as it gets. Very, very concerning. And that's also what's a little concerning about this Texans performance, not from a usage standpoint, but from the fact that the Texans were also coming out of a bye, um, and they did nothing against a pretty nothing, you know, bad mediocre defense. Panthers it's, defense. You can say I mean, it's a bad defense. It's yeah, a bad the Texan the Texans score had 229 yards total. They ran 56 plays. Um, so there's not really a lot to to dig into here. Um, I will say that like, you know, Tank Dell played the most snaps. Tank Dell ran the most routes. Um, he was he had three jet sweeps. He had three targets. Like he was he was still used. It was clear they came out of the bye wanting to get him touches. And I think if he's on your team, that should warm the cockles of your heart. Um, <laughs> what what shouldn't is with Noah Brown also on the field. You know Noah Brown played forty two snaps. He ran one less route than Tank Dell, and he was used way more down the field. Right. He actually led the team in receiving yards with 57 on three catches, whereas Tank Dell was doing a lot of like the quick hitter stuff around the line of scrimmage. So they want to get the ball into Tank Dell's hands, but he's not really field stretching as much. Granted, it's just one week, so we don't want to read in too much into it, but it looks like he was being used to kind of offset a running game that has failed to get anything going. Um, and that makes it a little bit more challenging to think of him having these huge blow up games. I mean, I, I'm, it's not a knock on tank I'm tank Dell. I'm not trying to make it one, but like having done a lot of Cardinals games, like his usage is Rondell Moore esque. 
Um, and you, you know, while while playing more snaps, obviously, but that's like how he's being used in their offense, at least today. Um, and it could have just been a matchup thing. Who knows? Nico Collins, you know, I'm not concerned about it. Uh, four catches on six targets for 30 yards. He's still being used the same way. You know, Stroud is still looking for him when he needs passes, uh, you know, key catches. Stroud was 16 of 24 for 140 yards. That He didn't throw that many passes. They didn't get that many chances. He was, you know, he had some pressure in his face. He held the ball a little too long sometimes. Uh, the Panthers just had a good game plan here defensively. Yeah, pretty quickly, looks like a near even timeshare coming out of the bye for Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary, which the Texans had kind of said they were going to employ. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them got any traction. They were probably hoping someone got the hot hand, but the hands uh, remained cool. In this yes, um, we had 25 snaps for uh, Damian Pierce, 23 for Singletary. We had seven routes for Damian Pierce, eight routes for Devin Singletary. We had 12 carries for Pierce and 10 carries for Singletary. It's pretty much split right down the middle. Um, Singletary caught the targets today. Damian Pierce is getting the goal line work still. Um, and then annoyingly, like the Texans really seem to want to get Mike Boone involved. I mean, Man. he played 10 snaps. He ran eight routes. He got some uh, red zone snaps as well. So it it's a backfield that I'm trying to like really avoid. Damian Pierce had some good runs today. Um, I, I would put Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary on my rosters. Um, I wouldn't start either one of them right now, but I think the Texans are giving one of these guys a chance to emerge. Yeah, Pierce has failed out of the RB2 rankings, but he's going to keep hanging around the top 36. He's going to keep getting the benefit of the doubt over Devin Singletary. There's still more theoretical upside there yes. for Damian Pierce, but it is uh, fully theoretical. Also fully theoretical heading into week eight was the Broncos beating the Chiefs. The line was around only a touchdown. The Broncos kind of hung around against the Chiefs two weeks ago in Kansas City. It's not like the most stunning result of the year. It is stunning. The Chiefs had five turnovers, not a single touchdown, not a single good usable box score day for anyone in this Chiefs offense. How did the Chiefs offense, against a team that allowed 70 points a month yeah. ago, how did the Chiefs offense go so off the rails in Denver? Um, well, obviously, it's Taylor Swift's fault. It is. Um, she no, needed to please. be there. She, she should have been there. there. No, we we won't get into that aspect of it. Listen, I think a lot of people are going to make comments about like Mahomes being sick and you know him needing an IV the night before. And I don't want to like shrug off that narrative like it had no impact. Um, it could have had an impact, but the Broncos, you know, they they sometimes they they, they have played the Chiefs well. In the past, right? I know they're not winning a lot of these games, but they have hung in there in these games. They're not winning any any of them. Right. Until yeah. Today. Uh, till today, Mahomes just looked flustered. Like it was weird. Like honestly, I like he looked Zach Wilson esque. Like he was literally turning his back on his receivers in the pocket and like running around in circles and trying to make plays. And like we see him do all kinds of crazy stuff like that and pull rabbits out of his hat. Today it was leading to incomplete passes and interceptions and lots of like uh, of sacks that he probably didn't need to take, um, you know, against a Denver defense that hasn't really dialed up a lot of pressure so far this year. I mean, you know, they had three sacks and eleven quarterback hits, and I don't think it was just the Chiefs' offensive line. Like Mahomes just held the ball so long. Um, at one point, the we don't have the stats yet up for this, but at one point the commentators said. This game was the longest time he had to throw and the shortest yardage per attempt. Wow. 
So he was holding the ball longer and not throwing down the field. And that could have been coverage. It could have also been just like, we need to own up to the fact that this offense doesn't have a lot of pass catching weapons. Um, Travis Kelsey is good. We know Travis Kelsey is very good. He's the, he's one guy. He had six catches for 58 yards. um, And Rasheed Rice led the team in snaps, which is nice to see. Had that is four, very good. That, that's a one on positive take. Yeah. Roll keeps growing. Four catches on five targets for 56 yards. Those are the only two guys you should have on your team. Like those are the only two guys you should have. You shouldn't be rostering Nicole Hardman waiting for he's he's coming back to Kansas City. He's now gonna be it's no. You shouldn't be rostering Kadarius Tony unless you're in like a super deep league. You don't need to roster MVS. Like Sky Moore, done, dropped an easy touchdown in the bread basket. Like yeah. he's nothing. Like these are guys where if they all of a sudden explode and become hugely valuable and I drop them, like I'm okay. I'm not kicking myself. Yeah. I don't think they belong on my roster. It's the time of year to buy weeks are going to be unceasing the next five or six weeks. Injuries will continue to mount. you got to start playing for now. Like the time for stashing is kind of over unless you're like six and two, seven and right. one. Totally agree. You, you got to cut bait on like the three stooges in the chiefs receiver core. And we got a little, no clarity, the chiefs then, except for again, Rasheed Rice, a little clarity with the Broncos. You, yeah. you have informed us that the backfield committee is over. I believe the backfield committee is over considering Javante Williams had 27 of the 32 running back carries for the Broncos. Um, and I know people will look at the box score and say, oh, well, he only averaged 3.1 yards per carry and Jaleel McLaughlin had 33 ru- yards on four rushes. And all I'll say to that is that it became so obvious that the Broncos were going to run the ball in the second half that the chiefs were just stacking the boss, the box and, you know, Williams was cranking out two, three yards a carry. Um, he looked really good in this game. He ran hard. He ran hard through contact. He had good gains in the first, um, in the first half when it was a little bit more in doubt. And then the, yeah, the yards per carry went down in the second half. Uh, I'm not really worried about it. He also was tied for the team lead in targets among running backs. He had three catches for 13 yards and a touchdown. So it was nice to see him get used in the passing game. Jaleel McLaughlin should be on your rosters because he looks good. He's done really good work with every opportunity he had. I believe he is the clear backup. And if for whatever reason, Javante Williams, you know, gets injured or you know the knee acts up like mclaughlin's gonna be very good but the broncos go on by next week and you know then they come back and face the bills and that's just another week for williams to get healthy and it's no surprise that he's ramping up usage further away from his surgery makes all the sense in the world and yeah thankfully there's some actual clarity there i mean sean payton can occasionally play backfield games but way you just laid it out, especially the buy coming out. This does not seem like a pattern that's going to be changing. And heading into the trade deadline, Russell Wilson on Jerry Judy for a touchdown, Cortland Sutton for a touchdown, Javante Williams for receiving touchdown. Hard to have takeaways. Game 12 completions for Russell Wilson. Hard to have any sweeping takeaways about these Broncos. It's just other than don't react to the the final stat line when a team only throws the ball 19 times. Yes. Like, yes, yes, I know you're going to see Cortland Sutton as two catches for 29 yards. It, it doesn't matter, right? He made a good catch. He was targeted the second most on the team. Um, Jerry Judy was targeted the most on the team. Six targets, two catches, 50 yards. Um, his first catch that set up the touchdown was really nice, like went up over Eric Reed and made a good catch in traffic. And they may get rid of him uh, yeah. at the trade deadline. Um, and then that's a lot of Cortland Sutton. Um, 
And that's the only reason I'm telling you not to cut bait on Marvin Mims if you're still hanging on, even though he ran, he had one target and he caught it and still had zero yards. Um, we know that he can make plays. He looked great in the return game. He can make plays in space. If Jerry Judy is traded away, there's going to be opportunity. But what I would say is with the way this passing game looks, if Judy remains after the deadline, it's Judy and Sutton and nobody else. So yeah, excellent point. Reason not to cut Marvin and also not to cut Jerry Judy. Maybe you're getting fed up with Jerry Judy and he's almost in like the chief's zone. The the good news is the trade deadline comes and goes before waivers run on Tuesday evening. So we'll have clarity Tuesday afternoon on that. Uh, Keep it locked to rotoworld.com for that as we break down the entire trade deadline. Uh, So Eric, thank you very much for joining us talking about these games. Uh, We'll try not to give you any Cardinals games next week. We'll try to get you the bills next week. Yeah, well, listen, I want that Kyler Murray Cardinals in a couple weeks. If he does come back, who knows? Who knows? Uh, Eric, good stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pat. Lawrence Jackson now here to talk about the Bengals coming out of their bye and fairly handily beating the 49ers 31-17. to Maybe you could argue the box score was a little closer than that. Uh, the final score, I should say. The Bengals led almost the entire game, picked up right where they left off, heading up into the off week. Uh, Joe Burrow continuing to look better as a passer. Joe Burrow looking by far the best he had all year as a scrambler. Six carries for 43 yards. Took some big hits, actually. The other side of the ball, Lawrence Brock Purdy, 365 yards passing. That might be a career high for him. Didn't look that up. Uh, But more picks. Had a few overturned turnovers. Two picks, lost, fumble. Uh, What's your first takeaway from this game? Did the Bengals, are they starting to look elite again? And are the 49ers starting to look genuinely concerning? Yeah, it was uh it was it was a dominant performance for the Bengals. It was uh, you know, kinda close and back and forth early, but for the most part of this game, you know, uh Joe Burrow, yes, him and that offense uh looking back elite again, everything's coming into place when you look at it, you know. This is probably Joe Burrow's best game of the season all things considered he had a he had a better statistical game against the cardinals but that was the cardinals right um you got t higgins back who uh got almost 70 yards so he's back easily into that wide receiver two spot for them joe mixon had his best day of the season and then for it to come against the uh this 49ers team in that front seven uh, was definitely saying something. Now, the 49ers and uh, Brock Purdy, Purdy made his share of plays, and he too was uh, able to use his legs. Uh, yeah, I noticed that six for 57. Uh, pretty good rushing day for Brock Purdy. Yeah, a lot of, lot of uh, open lanes for him to run there when the uh, Bengals run back in, uh, in, in man coverage. Uh, CMC, a usual day for him. He wasn't uh, inefficient, but it wasn't one of those blow-up games, as you could probably see by the by the statistic. It was a blow-up game for George Kittle. Uh, he was – him and Ayuk was, you know, readily available and getting wide open, and even in those tight window throws, uh, Kittle would come down with those. It just pretty much came down to the crucial turnovers, man, and uh, – they were they had two picks back to back 
Bengals capitalized on uh on quite literally back to back back to back snaps for Brock Purdy. Yeah, back to back snaps through interceptions. One of them just looked crazy because the linebacker Pratt was literally right in front of him, <laughs> and he threw it right to him. And uh, you know, so he had that, and you see the two turnovers where they lost by two touchdowns. So there you go. Any last chance they had. You know, he lost the fumble there when they were pretty much just going for, you know, garbage points, and they got some of those at the end. Um, no other 49er receiver even had more than one target until Ray Ray McLeod on the last play. Man. You know, he took his second target and took it like 40 yards. Other than that, there was no other receiver there was Kittle, or it was Ayuk, or it was CMC. So they desperately could use Debo back in the mix there. Um, I, that's a crazy stat that I have just confirmed from the box score. Two targets for Aaron McLeod. Like you said, the 41-yard catch, a total yeah. garbage time. Juwan Jennings, a total donut, not even targeted. Uh, yeah. yeah, a team that they, they felt so deep. Yeah, they, they don't look very deep. One of Debo... Brandon Ayuk or Kittle, I heard they have to keep George Kittle healthy. We don't know when Debo's coming back, though. It seems like something that could linger. And I just I, – I, I hate to be a victory lapper. I'm not a victory lapper. And it's not like I think the 49ers are bad. I, I do always overreact to 49ers losses. But I said after they killed the Cowboys in week five, I was like, man, they had three straight home games. They were against, Two of them were against the Giants and the Cardinals. They were heading on the road to Cleveland. I'm like, I feel like the 49ers season is really only beginning in week six against Cleveland. You know, they had the, the really tough road loss to Cleveland, the agonizing road loss to the Vikings. And yeah, just pushed around kind of at home. By the and people. it's ironic, too, because they blew out the Cowboys. And it, since then, the Cowboys have been the ones I know. <laughs> that have been much more impressive um, since, since that loss. So, you know, that's that's how the league works, man. You it's gotta, true. You got to get going at the right time, and the 49ers was going uh, real early. But they, for for them and for Brock Purdy to be at his best, they, he literally needs every piece of that to have he a does. chance, and that includes Debo and Trent Williams. Um, Very, so. Yeah, Trent Williams we did not mention, yeah. And so the most one of the most perfectly timed buys you'll ever see now for the 49ers Really got to get Trent Williams back, even more than Debo. They got to get Debo yeah. back. Then a, a tough Week Ten road game. They got to go to the East Coast against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I think have won like five yeah. in a row. Um, they have their defense looking really good. But Kyle Shanahan is, is a great bye week adjuster. But that game, Week Ten in Jacksonville, I think is going to tell the story of the rest of the. 49ers I, I would like to see. I mean, I'm glad you know Purdy is all right or whatever. But I would have been interested to see how Sam Darnold would have done I know. today. Just so you know, just to see, you know, uh, we're, we're discourse lovers. You're on TV now all the time. We need, we need stuff to talk about. It would have been something really good to talk about. I will say that. Yeah. You know, just to see him with something decent surrounding him and to see how he would have fared with that. But, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, Brock Purdy had, he played well. He had untimely turnovers that were, you know, that's not what you want when you, you know, when you got your franchise quarterback, you can't have those. That separates the good from the bad or the mediocre or whatnot. So there you go. 
There you go. And the other side of the ball, like I said, dominant performance for the Bengals. Uh, kept feeding the ball to Jamar Chase. I think the Bengals really can't come into a game, I feel like, and give Jamar Chase fewer than like 12 to 15 targets. They got him to 12, 10 catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. What do we tell people about T. Higgins, who he should finally be healthy coming out of their bye? Not a horrible day, but only five catches for a scoreless 69 yards, having by far his worst season as a pro so far. The injury had a lot to do with it. He hasn't been able to get momentum because of the injury. But it has not been happening statistically for T. Higgins. How concerned are we there? It it was – well, this was definitely encouraging. Um, you, there was two other receivers that scored: Tyler Boyd and Andre Yoshivas. So, I don't know if that happens every time. Um, no, so, it does not. But so. it was, but he was safely, you know, back to being the team's uh, wide receiver too. And if you started him today. In especially PPR, you'll definitely take 69 yards and five catches and be happy with that. He's put up three straight games of receiving yards in the 20s, so that 69 yards feel like 206. <laughs> <laughs> it does, and a good sign, too, heading into what is probably going to be a shootout with the Bills on Sunday Night Football on NBC next week, a really, really banged up Bills defense, too. So hopefully today was a building block for – the T Higgins, Jamar Chase should be soundly out targeting T Higgins, in my opinion, but T Higgins could still very easily be a top 20 receiver in fantasy. Yeah, this guy's went for 195 yards in the game before. Uh, so there's no doubt about that. It's just, you know, when he does have those games, it'll have to be when Jamar Chase uh, doesn't. But. Jamar Chase, is, he's been hitting on all cylinders now for a few weeks now, so he he's he's been ready. Jamar Chase turning into a league winner. Uh, Lawrence is always a league winner. Lawrence, thank you so much. And uh, what your st- what, what do we call your Monday articles? Stock up, stock down, correct? Um, stock up, stock down. Yes, sir. Check that out on rotorworld.com. Check Lawrence out on the Fantasy Football Happy Hour. Check him out on Brother from Another. Check him out everywhere. Lawrence, thank you so much for taking the time. No doubt, man. Appreciate it. It's now Mr. Mark Garcia. He had the Seahawks' 24-20 outlasting of the Deshaun Watson-less Browns. And the Cowboys really laying it on the Rams, who might just be bad. The Rams, uh, Matthew Stafford, injured in this game. Been injured a lot the past few years. He had stayed healthy so far this year. But we're going to start with the Seahawks. Was it a thumb for Matthew Stafford, by the way, Mark? What was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so thumb for Matthew Stafford. But first, yeah, the Seahawks and the Browns, kind of an ugly game. Kind of like every Browns game, especially every Browns game without Deshaun Watson. It's kind of like these slugfests, teams like throwing like turnover haymakers, sack haymakers. Probably lucky we got 44 points, to be honest, out of this game. Uh, and yeah, just – what are your first thoughts on 24 to 20 Seahawks over the Browns? We kind of saw the good and the bad from, and this game was dictated by the Cleveland defense. We saw the good and the bad from them. Um, any defense that is playing as much man and blitzing as much as they do with that Jim Schwartz defense is going to have these games where they completely shut their opponent out. And they're also going to have, you know, series or games where um, we see splash plays against. And we kind of saw that 
Um, I think the best way to, from a box score perspective, to highlight that is Kenneth Walker. I mean, he took his first or his second carry from the, in the game for 45 yards and was held that he only saw eight carries and, and the one reception, but he couldn't was held. help but notice in a league where I needed a hundred yards from Kenneth Walker that he got 45. Yeah. Then he didn't took come that, close. He took that second carry. First carry was a stuff at the at the line, uh, gain for zero. Uh, second carry for forty five yards, and I think that's kind of what we're going to see from this Cleveland Browns defense. Is we're going to see the occasional splash play because they're in man coverage. When you get man coverage, you're getting guys with their backs turned to the ball. You're getting these potential for splash plays, um, and that's kind of what we saw from Jim Schwartz today. I mean, he allowed the Seahawks to march the field on their first two possessions, score touchdowns. And then really shut them out for two and a half full quarters until the final possession of the game. So, um, yeah, Jim Schwartz kind of had this team, the Cleveland Browns, in it until the end. Obviously, with that last minute uh, touchdown reception by Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, sent Seattle to now a division leading five and two yeah. record. Well, that's <laughs> who would have thought that after what the 49ers yeah. did to the Cowboys? We have a three game losing streak for the 49ers heading into their bye. So you mentioned Jason. He finally gets the touchdown. Still not an overly impressive box score. Three catches, 36 yards, only four targets. Finally got Tyler Lockett's best box score of the season. Eight of nine for 81 yards and a touchdown. A scoreless five for 67 from DK Metcalf. We got Jake Bobo rushing touchdown for some yeah, unknown reason. The Bobes. What do we what do we tell people about the Seahawks receivers? Because I still don't quite know. Yeah. I, I've been expecting. Tyler Lockett to be Tyler Lockett at some point. And it's been his quietest season in a real, real long time. He did have 94 yards a few weeks ago. Yeah. DK Metcalf hurt. Tyler Lockett's playing hurt. JSN can't quite break through. What What is your state of the Seahawks uh, wide receiver core address? Yeah, against a, a man-heavy hu- coverage team like the Cleveland Browns, we expect kind of DK to be the guy against a man-heavy team. He saw 14 targets, only came down with five for 67 out of those 14. Man. And Tyler Lockett really was the man on those first two drives. Um, he had six of his eight catches on those first two drives, wow. um, including including that touchdown. Um, so he's kind of quiet the rest of the uh, of the game. But this the Seahawks team was unable to move the football for two and a half quarters. They did not pick up a third down conversion for two and a half quarters after those first two drives. Holy so this moly. was yeah, this was a, a team of Jim Schwartz's defense was figuring things out, getting the Seahawks off the field keeping them in the game. But yeah, like you mentioned, Jake Bobo, three touchdowns in, in their seven games played. Um, this, he's, he's just going to continue because he does the nitty gritty stuff for Pete Carroll. He's just going to continue to see these package plays. Um, is that in the way of a JSN full breakout? I don't necessarily think I would go there. Um, but yeah, you saw JSN scored for the second consecutive game. He did so last week uh, with DK Metcalf out. Um, but see, it's just this team is not going to ever really pass the ball a ton. And this was 37 pass attempts from Geno Smith um, and JSN really four targets. So um, yeah, he's just got bodies in front of him. He's just got a, a, an offensive coordinator and a head coach who kind of want to play keep away. Um, and he's just going to, he's going to really looks like he's going to need a touchdown to return anything meaningful for us. And I guess you might not fully blame the Seahawks for wanting to play keep away. Cause Gino hasn't like collapsed off last season by any stretch, but only nine touchdowns through seven starts. He has five picks over the past three weeks. It hasn't been a complete efficiency collapse or anything like that, but some of the turnovers are coming back. He's taking multiple sacks almost every week. 
Yeah. Uh, wh- what are you seeing with Gino? Is it kind of just like turnover luck catching back up with them, or what is? Go- I, I I haven't entirely known what's going on. I also haven't seen the Seahawks play much the past few weeks. But what is going on with Gino? Yeah, it it feels like his pocket presence is um, much more lacking than it was last season. And we saw the two turnovers; they were costly um, this week. He also had a fumble that he recovered, um, so it could have been a three turnover game here for Gino. Yeah, it, it just looks like um, not the same magic, and that's just what we'll, the word we use to describe his season last year. Uh, just he had the magic, right? And those plays when they needed them, the you know the long deep passes to Tyler Lockett streaking down the seam there, and that just hasn't been there this year. So he's not toast. He's not. He just doesn't have the magic. He's kind of just somewhere in between, I think, right now. It's kind of just what we expected last. Last year seemed like a career yeah. year the entire time it was going. The old ninth year breakout. <laughs> the old, yeah, the very sustainable ninth year breakout. <laughs> yes, is everyone, and he's not going all the way back to Jets, Gino, where the pocket presence was quite an issue. Uh, but it's yeah. never going to be his strong suit. And we're just in fantasy. It's looking more like QB 14 to 18 Gino than QB like eight to 14 Gino. It's going to be in that QB two range. Most yeah. Probably even for week nine, even with four teams on by the other side of the ball real quick with the Browns. It's just like another game where it's hard to even have a takeaway because it's not the franchise quarterback playing. We don't know when the franchise quarterback is actually coming back. We thankfully got a usable box score from Mari Cooper Kind of one of David and Joku's first real usable games of the season for yeah. for 77 yards and a touchdown. But can we have any like true take a, a game two where Jerome Ford? I don't know why he was active. Should not have been active. Probably this was that's probably the biggest takeaway here is the backfield. Um, it the first half was completely like Kareem Hunt with a start with Pierre Strong being the change of pace. It was those two working in, and then in the second half. After thinking like Jerome Ford, okay, he he was active, but he's clearly hurt. Um, he, Jerome Ford was the guy in the second half. Uh, it was Jerome Ford with Kareem Hunt as the change of pace guy, uh, which was really weird. It ended up all three backs saw more than 10 opportunities, and it just looked like this, we don't know what to make of it type moving forward. Like, how do we utilize a backfield where three different backs are seeing 10 plus opportunities? So, so it's going to be very hard after Jerome Ford had very clearly asserted himself as the lead back um, to kind of see what's going on here. I mean, Kareem Hunt scored again. He scored twice last week. Last week, he was very clearly playing behind Jerome Ford. He saw the start this week. It's kind of like, I don't know what to make of this moving forward. Um, And then as far as David Njoku, it took a 41-yard bubble screen for him to get to that yardage. Um, he's always going to be that red zone presence. Um, in this, the yardage was surprising, and it took that 41-yard screen to get him there. Didn't know it was a 41-yard bubble screen. Uh, very good. That's why we have this show. So know <laughs> yeah. that 41 of the yards maybe were vaguely fraudulent. You know, speaking, speaking of vaguely fraudulent, Rams have now lost three of four, really beaten down by the Dallas Cowboys, 43-20. to 20. Again, as we mentioned off the jump, Bad development. Matthew Stafford's injured. We don't know his status for week nine and going forward. Mm-hmm. Backfield stuck in committee land. One of Puka or Cooper Cup have been getting home since Cooper Cup came back. The first game where neither got home. Product of facing an elite defense with an injured quarterback. Uh, you can start there. Then really good Cowboys box scores. Not for Tony Pollard. Yeah. 12 for 158 <laughs> to CeeDee Lamb. But yeah, what the Rams uh, looking like a bad team again basically kind of what it's coming down to a well-coached bad team, but a bad team. Yeah. This, this Rams offense. And really I was looking for any trends here. And the trend is they've really struggled against man coverage this season. 
Um, obviously, with Dallas playing, you know, top three rates of man coverage, they're really, really struggling to move the football against man coverage. Last year, Cooper Cup was the guy against man, against zone. It didn't really matter. Uh, but for two consecutive weeks now against man-heavy teams, um, Cooper Cup has really struggled to get it going. Um, we saw Puka last year, or last year, last weekend. Um, Feels like last year. Yeah, right? We saw Puka kind of assert himself a little bit and give us something we hadn't seen, which was winning against man coverage. He was not able to get that going um, in this spot. Um, last weekend, we saw... Um, we saw them see a high rate of man coverage and we saw them try to beat that early with Cooper cup. They were fed him four or five targets in the first two drives. Uh, and then it was Puka beyond that Cooper cup was seeing double coverage. Puka kind of was able to beat one-on-one coverage that did not happen. And before when Cooper cup was injured, it was Tutu Atwell that was kind of like the, their man beater. He was their motion man. He was the guy seeing these. Um, I, 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 I liken it to Debo Samuel or, uh, a Tyreek Hill light uh, role in this offense that that former Gary Kubiak coaching tree, they're all kind of doing the same things. And Tutu was that guy. Now that Cooper cup is back, we're seeing less reliance on Tutu. He saved his more borderline saved his fantasy day last weekend with the touchdown, but it, it's really this, this team is really struggling with man coverage. And we saw more of that today. And who even knows what's going to happen if Matthew Stafford is not available for week nine against the Green Bay Packers. Pretty good chance he misses that game, too, because the Rams are going on bye in week 10. Yeah. It would make a lot of sense. But maybe with their season circling the drain, the Russian back. And Matthew Stafford, he likes to get hurt even more than liking to get hurt. He likes to play through injuries. He is extremely yeah. tough. Uh, he plays play through an injury to basically every body part you could possibly imagine. So keep it locked to rotorworld.com for updates on Matthew Stafford. Cowboys, thermonuclear for CeeDee Lamb. Tony Pollard, you would think in a game where they're playing with like a double-digit lead the whole game, would finally get home, but only 12 carries for 53 yards. I mean, he's seeding some touches to Rico Dottle, but nothing that should knock him out of the RB1 rankings. He's just not scoring touchdowns. And Dak Prescott was scoring touchdowns, by the way. Finally, a big game for Dak. 25 of 31, 304 and 4. What did you see from the Cowboys offense? Yeah, we'll start with Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is not being utilized in the same ways that he was last year. Um, obviously, we have a change in in offensive play calling. Um, but last year, they were doing stuff to get him in space. They were giving him off-tackle carries. This year, we're not seeing that a whole lot. And he's kind of being asked to be this between-the-tackle grinder type guy. Obviously, his body is not kind of built for that role. He's built to be explosive in space. So, as I, I mean, even today... 4.4 yards per carry would be one of his higher yards per carry games on the season. And the fact that he's not really being utilized to his full potential, I think just speaks to his coaching changes and who his, who is calling the offensive plays now and Mike McCarthy. Um, but yeah, the, the big thing here, we had the Dallas Cowboys coming off their bye week and they really made it a point of emphasis to get CD lamb going. And this they also maintained or continued to be aggressive through the air. This is, they were up 33 to three at one point prior to halftime. Uh, it was, it took until uh, the last Man. drive of the, of the first half for Royce Freeman to plunge in from one yard to bring that to 33 to nine. So this was a team that kind of kept their foot on the gas, which is something that may or may not always be present with Mike McCarthy at the helm. No. 
Um, and they kept their foot on the gas. And I think that was a, a, a product of them coming off their buy. They know CD lamb is seeing only 22% targets per route run rate coming into the week. Uh, and they really made it a point of emphasis to get CD lamb going. Yeah, thank God for that, by the way. So I can say yeah. for my fantasy teams and I just, yeah, Brandon cooks, he's been more usable, but only four targets, but the Cowboys, thank God. Like you said, they actually kept their foot on the gas and, that was probably respect for Sean McVay for Mike McCarthy, knowing that like yeah. he, he can't mess around with this game. But the cow, the Cowboys are never going to get a normal game script. Like it's, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. They just cannot it's, get a normal game script to save their life, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not coming. up. Oh, actually, it is coming. It's coming in Week Nine. They're playing the Philadelphia Eagles. Please let this be a shoot. I, I thought they were playing the Giants. That's Week Twelve. Won't be a normal game script in that one, but hopefully. Dallas Cowboys get us a normal game script in week nine against the Philadelphia Eagles. I uh, think you think that puts a bow on this mark. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And this, this game was interesting coming into it because we may or may not have seen the Cowboys fully tested. Uh, I mean, the one game that they played a team that is in the top 10 in scoring this year, they got completely blown out 42 to 10 by the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and they four of their first six opponents were in the bottom 10 in the league in scoring. So we kind of hoped that they would see a more natural game flow and game script in this one. And then they go out and score two really quick touchdowns and then get a pick six um, from uh, Deron Bland, who has three pick sixes this year, which is mm. incredible already. Yeah, it's truly incredible. Seven games, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, this team, I, don't, I still don't think we've seen what the Dallas Cowboys or who the Dallas Cowboys are at this point. Uh, because like you said, we have not seen many or any, maybe, maybe last week against the chargers was their only kind of game. That was a, a normal type game script up to this point. Maybe we'll find out in week nine against the Eagles Mark. That's all That's <laughs> yeah. all we can ask for. And we can also ask for a Tony Pollard touchdown. Maybe <laughs> try to bring, much, try to bring that, that next time you're on the podcast. So <laughs> yeah. uh, Mark, thank you so much. It is Zach Kruger. It is Eagles 38, Commanders 31, Ravens 31, Cardinals 24, Eagles Commanders. It was a rough day out there. Not a lot of good NFL football today. There were some close games at least, but not a lot of compelling games. Eagles Commanders was compelling. One of the reasons for that was Sam Howell has been looking a little bit better each week. Uh, He looked by far the best he's looked all year, though, against this Eagles pass defense that just continues to massively regress. Uh, for the first time all year, Sam Howell took fewer than four sacks, only one sack, 397 yards, completed 75% of his throws, four touchdowns, Zach. Did he look as good as this box score? Was it Sam Howell? Was it the Eagles? What was it? How did Sam Howell almost get 400 yards? Yeah, well, the, it, it helps when you throw the ball 52 times as Eric Bieniemy just does not seemingly want to let his foot off the gas pedal, regardless of game script, regardless of situation. Eric Bieniemy wants to throw the ball come hell or high water, and he does it just about every single week. So um, that certainly aids when it comes to trying to get the 400 passing yards in a single game. But overall, I thought that this was actually one of Bieniemy's better um, games that he called as a, as a coordinator this season. Right out of the gate, uh, we we noticed a lot of very quick dropbacks and, and and outs for for how to just find his receivers quickly at or just shortly beyond the line of scrimmage which which 
created a lot of opportunities for, I think, not only him to get the ball and avoid getting sacks, but also allowing his receivers to create plays after the catch. We saw a lot of that as well early on through the first few drives. Uh, at times, it did feel like maybe BNB was getting a little bit too uh, confident with some of those calls. Uh, they, they kind of abandoned some of those later on, and be, it became a little bit more of a downfield attack. But overall, I thought Hal looked really good in this one. Certainly only one sack uh, is, is going to work to his advantage. Unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't matter much in the, in the wins department as they still fell three and five in this game. He did have a late touchdown uh, pass to cut this, the score, the game, to only a one, a one score game rather than a two score loss. But uh, I mean, he was good whenever he gets the ball out, he tends to look very accurate and, and make good decisions. He had a bad throw in this one that did result in an interception and kind of was a little bit of a backbreaker for the Eagles late in the game when they really needed it or a backbreaker for the commanders. I'm sorry. Uh, threw it away to the defender they just made a good play on the ball and then the eagles went down and scored again and kind of put the game out of the for the most part hal has done a good job at limiting uh turnovers they tend to come in bunches with him unfortunately but when he's not turning the ball over he's playing well um and i, I thought it was by all accounts a pretty good performance in this one and again i thought the b enemy play calling and the way he switched things up compared to previous weeks really helped him in this one Jahan Dotson, it seemed like maybe a point of emphasis for the commanders was to not let Jahan Dotson get too down on himself after the horrible drop last week. You know, he was like visibly crushed on the field. He led with eight catches, 108 yards, got a touchdown. Terry McLaurin drew 12 targets. Jahan Dotson, 10 targets. How did Jahan Dotson look after a period of play that culminated in that horrible game last week? People kind of moving on from him in fantasy. Now, how do we move on from a guy who just went eight one oh eight one oh eight one? Yeah, well, well, John Dotson has kind of been a weird case all season long. Uh, Commanders fan and folks, you know, who have him in fantasy have been down on him, uh, especially early on when he was only averaging like five targets a game. Over the last two weeks, I think he's been targeted ten times this week and then eight in the previous week. So they have been feeding him rather, rather frequently, and it's certainly showing up in the box score looking. Uh, you know, better for fantasy managers by the week as that continues on. But Dotson looked good in this one. I thought. I thought he got open on a on a you know decent amount of his uh, his looks and then operated well in space. He he was able to sneak behind the defense early in the game for I believe it was a twenty one yard touchdown where he, he was actually kind of very wide open um, and, and was able to connect easily with Sam Howell for the score. But I thought he looked good. I thought Terry McLaurin for the most part looked good in this one. Five catches, sixty three yards, one touchdown. But the really weird guy who emerged was Jamison Crowder. Seven catches on seven targets for 95 yards and a touchdown. Um, I'm not going to be flocking to the waiver wire to add Jamison Crowder as much as I love me a good slot receiver as anybody else does. Uh, This this performance did come after Curtis Samuel missed much of the second half with a toe injury. If you remember, he entered the game questionable with a foot injury. So I'm I'm actually curious to know, was it a foot injury um, that... You know, it was really just a toe, or is this a toe injury that is separate from the foot injury that he entered the game with? Maybe, so to- maybe compensating for his foot and injures his toe. Definitely someone to watch this week. Yeah, something something to watch this week. Is Crowder the the beneficiary from that injury going forward if Samuels missed any time? I'm not really sure. Crowder did have a long touchdown on literally what was the commander's final offensive drive. And on that drive, he caught three of his seven passes. So the the box score is also inflated from that angle. They were looking to try to cut a two-score game down to a one-score game. He caught, I think it was three passes for 58 yards and a touchdown on that one drive alone. So the box score is even more impressive than what the, the outing actually was over for a full four quarters, but but the Crowder one was still, you know, something that we're not expecting to see from a, a journeyman slot receiver at this point in time who's in the twilight of his career. 
Anything interesting with the the Eagles? Pretty status quo. DeAndre Swift getting a touchdown, dominating touches more or less over Kenneth Gainwell. AJ Brown yet again over 125 yards. Devontae Smith's best box score of the year, seven for 99 and a touchdown. Uh, not really many new takeaways here with this Eagles offense. No, no, no real takeaways uh, as far as you know what we've seen from the Eagles goes. I, everything's kind of what we expect, and that includes AJ Brown going for 125 plus yards in every single game. We now expect that. Um, it's 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 maybe not fair to him when he inevitably has like a 50 yard outing and doesn't score. We're gonna all take the Twitter and, and rage about it. But uh, AJ Brown once again destroying. Uh, not just opposing defenses, but the commander's defense in his two outings. He has just over 300 receiving yards, and I believe three or four touchdowns against the commanders in his two games. Like he, He's been absolutely insane overall, and then against the commanders specifically, they'll be having nightmares about him for the, you know, until they meet him next year in the regular season since they've now played them twice, but Nothing really new here from the Eagles. One little note that I did kind of make, even when I was blurbing, Kenneth Gainwell had five targets, which he caught all five of them for 30 yards. He only two rushes for negative four yards, so nothing there. But he is kind of, in my mind, still the handcuff to have behind DeAndre Swift if you're looking for a back who the, who the Eagles are comfortable with using after Swift. Rashad Penny, again, a, a healthy scratch. So so Gainwell, I do think, still has some handcuff upside, um, although probably can't be played independently of Swift as long as Swift is healthy. Moving on to the Ravens and the Cardinals. We, we had the return of the sleepy Ravens, I would say, in this one, where they were never in danger of losing. They, they didn't – they almost blew the Cardinals out too, but just not an inspiring performance from the Ravens. Only 157 yards passing from Lamar Jackson – None of the pass catchers got home in fantasy other than Mark Andrews, who had a touchdown on five targets. Gus Edwards did have three rushing touchdowns. What did you see from the Ravens off? Is it kind of was it more uninspiring Ravens football, or was it hard to be inspiring against the Cardinals team that just isn't putting up any fight whatsoever right now? I think it's I think you can safely say it was a mixture of both uh only 18 of 27 passing for Lamar Jackson this time I think I, I noted in my blurbs it was either the third I think it was the third time that he's had fewer than 30 pass attempts um in any game this season so the Ravens have definitely been a more pass heavy team this year we didn't see that in this case and then the other thing that wasn't working well for him was a lot of his downfield targets I, I noticed that Zay Flowers at the end of the game five catches for 19 yards on seven targets so Zay Flowers was there most targeted receiver on the day, and he manages 19 yards. Uh, looking at some of the more advanced stats after the game, I saw that Zay Flowers had 16 yards after the catch. So uh, three three total air yards that he converted into uh, <laughs> into receiving yards, and the rest of it all came after the catch. And uh, when that's how your lead target earner is, is producing yards, it's just not a good recipe for success. So it was a lot of short stuff for Zay Flowers, who was often relied on to make yards after the catch in the short and intermediate parts of the field. And when that's not happening and, and the rest of your receivers aren't connecting on their downfield targets, it's just not going to be a good look. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. also four targets on the day. And then he had two looks that actually drew pass interference calls for, I think, amounted to roughly 35 yards of penalty yards for the Cardinals. So even, even a couple down field looks there uh not receiving yards for the ravens and certainly not going to complain about the yards that they're being given on those pass interferences but that's also going to limit obviously your receiving yardage output uh for the day and and by consequently also lamar jackson's overall passing yards so not an inspiring game from the the passing perspective, but then also the Ravens ran the ball a ton in this game. Gus Edwards 19 carries 80 yards. You pointed out the three touchdowns earlier. 
Those touchdowns were from seven yards, one yard, and one yard. So he was getting all the short yardage looks. I don't think Lamar Jackson even had a rush attempt near the goal line in that one yardage area where you would kind of expect him to maybe try to bail out fantasy owners with a, with a quarterback plunge. All of those looks went to Edwards. He converted on them and looks very good in the game overall. So uh, it, it was a tough day for Lamar Jackson and his fantasy managers. The score... 31 to 24 was definitely not as close in reality. The Cardinals had nine points over the last like minute and 15 seconds helped by an onside kick that they recovered. But uh, the, it, was, it was a game where I thought the Ravens overall were dominant in various aspects, but again, not, not a lot of inspirational things going on, on the offensive side of the ball. Amari DiMarcado, the clear lead back again for the Cardinals. So that seems to be a trend that is for real. And then, Fantasy managers were kind of hoping Trey McBride was absorb all of Zach Ertz's lost work. That was the case. 10 catches for 95 yards and a touchdown of 14 targets. He's looking like someone who might be tight in one live heading forward. Even, even though we heard we're getting another week of Josh Dobbs under center in week nine, but Trey McBride looks like he is trying to force his way into the top 12 mix at tight end. He's trying to force his way to the top 12 mix. And in addition to that, we know that the Cardinals have not been shy about targeting their tight ends all season. It was more than evident in this game, 14 targets for McBride leading all the leading really all receivers on either side of the uh, the field for this one. McBride, 14 targets, uh, 10 catches, 95 yards, one touchdown. He had two catches that were actually downfield throws that looked really nice. A 17 yard touchdown and then a 22 yard um, reception late in the game when the, they were just kind of, you know, hacking away garbage time, trying to make the game look competitive. But McBride looked good overall. Um, Whatever this injury is that Zach Ertz is dealing with, we've got at least three more weeks of him being sidelined, which means McBride will be a tight end one for the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, heading into next week against the Browns, I, I don't know what Josh Dobbs is going to offer against one of the best pass defenses in the league, but I'm sure we can count on Trey McBride to leak into a few soft zones and find at least some short yardage targets and maybe even get free for one down the field later on. So we'll see. But but McBride, I think, should be a hot waiver ad for anybody kind of riding that tight end carousel looking for a way off. He might be able to get you off for at least the next three weeks. And I just realized why they're starting Josh Dobbs one more week. You don't really want to bring a guy – off IR back to a road game against this Browns defense. They're basically <laughs> like sacrificial lambing Josh Dobbs for one more game. I think we're getting Kyler in there. So things we, things we selfishly don't think about, but probably need to accept this reality. Yeah, we do need to accept that. It was real. We need to accept this reality that this show is unfortunately over. We hope you have gotten some useful information out of myself, out of Zach, out of Denny, Kyle, Eric Samalski, Lawrence Jackson, Mark Garcia, Adicha is on vacation this week, so no Adicha. Um, Give me stuff on the site all day, Monday, all week. Zach's going to be blurbing all day Monday. Always really good stuff from Zach in the morning and the afternoon on Mondays. I'll have a Q&A with Kyle Dvorak Monday evening. And yeah, articles just all day, all week. And a lot of injury news this week, so keep it locked to the site. For Zach Kruger, I'm Patrick Darty. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back later this week. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if 
if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 